continue our study in Revelation. Push the resume button. That's uh, that's internet or TV speak. You know, that's what some people uh, identify with, or their their recording system. Resume. Okay, that's what we're doing this afternoon. Revelation 16. Revelation 16, and um, there is no denying that the uh, book of Revelation is a book of judgment. So we're going to look at the final judgment beginning here. Uh, we looked at the bold judgments last uh, week, and uh, so... Uh, as uh, the first century people, uh, they were being smitten under the angry whip of Roman persecution, kind of uh, was given to them to let them know that God has a plan for judgment for those who rejected him. Now, there are passages that allow for rejoicing in the chapters of this book. This book isn't all uh, doom and gloom. There is great rejoicing that you'll find here. Uh, it's, uh, for the most part, the chronicle, of, though, of God's final judgment of sin, of sinners and Satan. In Revelation, there is a series of three judgments, which are executed in seven stages each, uh, seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and finally the seven bowl judgment, judgments. And uh, we're going to look at those this afternoon, but not all seven, okay? Uh, uh, we'll get you out of here so you can get your uh, afternoon siesta. Uh, and if you can wait on that, that'd be good. If, if you can't wait, then just go ahead and, and relax and just don't snore, okay? Um, so we have the final set of judgments, and Revelation 15 and uh, verse 7 shows us one of the four beasts given to the seven angels, seven bowls, full of the wrath of God. Uh, full of the wrath of God. Now, I'm going to remind you, the word full there means to swell. And uh, this swell isn't Wally telling Beaver, hey, that's swell, Beave. Uh, some of you remember, leave it to Beaver. Uh, that was one of, his, one of his favorite sayings, I think, or at least one of his favorite words. You know, he said, that's swell. No, that's not kind of swell we're talking about here. No, this is more like the image of a dam under pressure nearing its bursting point, and uh, uh, we don't have to be reminded too much about uh, what water damage can do, because we've just seen a hurricane uh, in one part of our country do some great damage, but that's going to be, that's nothing compared to what's going to happen in the tribulation. We think it's bad, and it was bad, but this is going to be worse. So ever since Adam sinned in Eden, the wrath of God against sin and sinners has been building and building and building. And the grace of mercy of God has served as a powerful dam, so to speak, which has held back the wrath. And in judgments of Revelation, the dam of God's wrath is going to burst and the Christ-rejecting world is going to be swept away in a wave of judgment that comes. Now, up to this point, God has tempered his wrath. God has been faithful to honor the request of the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3 and verse 2, the prophet prayed, in wrath remember mercy. 
And so God has done that. But now, when we're talking this time period of, of the tribulation, judgment has come. There's no more mercy any longer. The wrath of God is about to be poured out, and God is preparing to commence his final judgment upon the earth. In Revelation 14, in verse 10, John wrote, The same shall drink of the wine of wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now, these verses, uh, you see the world is about to experience the undiluted wrath of an offended God. Now, here in verse 1, God issues the command for the angels to begin pouring out the bowls filled with his wrath. He says in verse 1, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go to your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the message today, and the, as we continue this, uh, Lord willing, next time, we'll consider these seven bold judgments in detail. First of all, there's the plagues in the center. The plagues in the center, verse 2, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grief, grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them that which worshipped his, his image. Now, when this first bowl is poured out, all of those who have worshipped the beast and who have received the mark are afflicted with these sores uh, upon their bodies. Now, this word sore uh, actually means an ulcer. It's not an ulcer in your, inside, but it's an ulcer on the outside of your body. It's the idea of an open, running, ulcerated place of skin. You say, don't talk about that, preacher. That's gross. It's going to be gross. It's an oozing boil. Well, these sores are called noisome. Uh, the word means a bad nature, troublesome, injurious. They're also described as grievous. The word refers to something as annoying, painful, or bad. And whatever little thing we've had in our lifetime, maybe we've had some serious uh, skin issues, and, uh, but this is going to be terrible. These two words reveal the sores are extremely painful and festering and incurable. No, amount, uh, no doubt the greatest medical minds of the age will do their best to find a cure, but they will fail. There will be no cream or no uh, poultice or no drug that will give relief to the people suffering from these boils. And the sore on the outside is a sign of the rottenness on the inside. God is clearly revealing the condition of these lost sinners. He's putting on display the corruption of their hearts through the corruption in their bodies. These people have rejected God and His Christ, and they must face Him in judgment. Now, these festering ulcers bring to mind the ancient plagues in Egypt. Remember the ten plagues? Well, the sixth plague was found in Exodus 9, in that plague, the people of Egypt suffered incurable, painful boils all over their body. And it seems to be the same kind of physical problem that Job experienced. Remember the story of Job and how uh, the Lord allowed Satan to uh, touch his body with these boils. So just as in ancient Egypt, these boils only 
afflict the enemies of God. Those who are trusting the Lord are spared this judgment. Plagues in the sinner. Secondly is plagues in the sea. Now when the second bowl is poured out, the waters of the earth, earth ocean are corrupted, and they become like putrid blood of a corpse. You say, I don't know if I understand what that is. Well, if you've never seen that, then you probably don't. Having been an ambulance driver at one time, uh, I've seen some things like that. Maybe you were in the military and you saw some things like that. But this is, this is terrible. Back in Revelation 8, verse 8 and 9, when the second trumpet judgment was administered, one-third of the ocean was afflicted. And here, the cataclysm is worldwide. When this plague is poured out, every creature in the sea will die. The seas will become like vast cemeteries. Beaches will no longer attract the sun worshipers and the pleasure seekers. The beaches will reek with the stench of death. Instead of being thronged with crowd, uh, crowds of sunbathers, the world's beaches will be choked with rotting carcasses of billions of dead sea creatures. It's horrible. Now, this kind of plague kind of has been seen in miniature in our world. Occasionally something called the red tide will occur. John Phillips, a commentator, preacher, describes the phenomenon of this, this in his commentary on Revelation. He says this, From time to time off the coast of California and elsewhere, a phenomenon known as the red tide occurs. These red tides kill millions of fish and poison those who eat contaminated shellfish. In 1949, one of the red tides hit the coast of Florida. First, the water turned yellow. By midsummer, it was thick and vicious, uh, viscous with countless billions of uh, dinoflagellates, tiny one-celled organisms. Sixty-mile windrows of stinking fish fouled the beaches. Much marine life was wiped out. Even bait used by fishermen died upon the hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided, only to appear again the following year. Eating fish contaminated by the tide produced severe symptoms caused by a potent nerve poison, few grams of which distributed aright would easily kill everyone in the world. An unchecked population explosion of toxic dinoflagellates would kill the fish in the sea. Now, that's happened, but on a smaller scale. When this happens, what we're talking about here in Revelation, the entire world will be affected. And when you consider that 70% of the surface of the planet is covered with ocean, you can see how big and how far-reaching this plague is. Now imagine the impact, impact that it have on the environment. Most of the rainwater the earth receives comes from moisture that evaporates from the oceans. No more evaporation means diminished rainfall on the earth. A drought, worldwide proportions. And consider the fact that this world is largely dependent upon the oceans for its food supply. Billions of people receive an abundance of their food supply from the ocean. Without the source of food, millions will face starvation. Not only will food supplies be drastically affected, but so will commerce and shipping. 
the uh, socioeconomic impact of this plague will devastate the earth. And so one by one, God is tearing down all the things that you and I take for granted. First, their health will be destroyed, then the ocean's going to be destroyed. The coastal regions of every nation in the world will become abandoned wastelands as oceans are transformed into vast areas of death. So there's going to be plagues in the center, there are going to be plagues in the sea, and then thirdly, plagues in the streams. Verse 4 says, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, and wast, and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. When this bowl, the third bowl, is poured out, the fresh water sources of this world are going to be stricken. Again, we saw this in miniature back in Revelation chapter 8, when one-third of the world's fresh water supplies were poisoned, when a comet or a, mediator, a meteor or some other heavenly body fell on them. Now here, they're turned to blood. And by the time this plague is poured out on the earth, the world has become absolutely bloodthirsty. Millions of martyrs have been slain by the Antichrist and his, million, uh, and his forces. Millions of saints have had their blood shed by the enemies of God. And he honors their desire for blood by giving them blood to drink. Now when Jesus was here, remember his first miracle was turning water into wine. And the miracle was designed to draw men to him. And here he turns the water into blood to remind men of him. And so one by one, the Lord is removing every prop, every comfort, everything mankind leans on for support and takes for granted. And the plague reminds us of the first of the ten plagues in Egypt again. In Exodus 7, the fresh water in the land of Egypt was turned into blood and men searched in vain for water to quench their thirst. But in this judgment, every source of fresh water in the world is turned to blood, whether it's a spring or a well or a, a municipal water system, the world's, world's fresh water supply will be taken. Now, you know, our bodies are uh, able to survive actually several weeks without food. I know some of you can't believe that. You can't hardly survive a day without something to eat. But you can actually survive several weeks without food. But you know you can only survive three days without water. Imagine a world with no water. A faucet's turned on, and instead of cool, clean, thirst-quenching water, outpours putrid, foul, deadly blood. No doubt death from disease and thirst will skyrocket during these horrible, evil days. And when this plague comes, the angels praise God for his wisdom in sending his, this judgment. And the world is just reaping what it has sown. As it tells us in Galatians chapter 6. This world has been guilty of murdering people. God's people. Murdering God's preachers. And now they're given blood to drink. 
Another angel declares the righteous nature of God's judgment. We read that there. Uh, our human minds cannot comprehend these judgments in these verses. I don't think we can really get a grasp of it. We even might shrink back and say, oh, this is so awful, this is so horrible. We recoil when we think how people having to suffer like people will suffer during the tribulation. We might even feel that there must be a better way. But one day, when we're at home in glory, and our minds have been transformed and glorified, we will see things from God's perspective. And we're going to understand then just how hateful and horrible sin truly is. And I think if we really could get a picture of that in our own hearts and minds even now, sin may not have the domination over our lives that it has. We will feel as God feels. We will think as God thinks. We will understand. In fact, I'm, I'm 100% sure that our voice will also say amen to these judgments. As he judges the world that has denied him and de defiled his creation. And we understand that the time for judgment has come here. And we all know that the only thing that has held that judgment off is the pure grace of God and his mercy. When judgment comes, we can rest, be rest assured that God will judge the right individuals in the right amount of, in the right way. He can do anything or excuse me, he can do nothing but do right. Genesis 18.25 says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous and with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Clear back in Genesis, we're already told that the judge will do the right thing. Here in Revelation, he's doing the right thing. We can't say, well... Lord, isn't there a better way? Lord has given people chances after chances after chances to be saved. And when you witness to someone and you give them a tract, they're having an opportunity to turn to Christ. And if they reject it, then this is their fate. Plague in the sinners, plagues in the sea, plagues in the streams, and fourthly, plagues in the sun. Verse 8 and 9. And the fourth angel, angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with a great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. The heat is allowed to burn the bodies of men. Now the word scorched, the scorch where it means to be burned with heat, to be tortured with intense heat. And by some means, God will allow the heat of the sun to be intensified and the bodies of men will be burned. And this universe really is an amazing place. You just have to go back to your science classes where you studied uh, the, the stars and the sun and so forth. Remember some of the facts that you learned? Sun is some 93 million miles away from the earth. Thank God that's that far. Because if it's any closer, we'd be in trouble. It sits at the exact precise distance to allow life to exist on this planet. If the sun was any closer, we would be burned up. 
If the sun was any farther away, we would freeze to death. God placed it exactly where it needs to be. And it continues to be there. It's actually the sun is a great nuclear reactor. It's so large that 1.3 million of our earth could fit inside of it. But it's hot, very hot. The surface of the sun is nearly 10,000 degrees. If that heat were to hit the earth with full force, the planet would burn up instantly. Surrounding the earth is a band of radiation called the uh, magnetosphere, magnetosphere. This radiation band filters out the rays of the sun, allowing exactly the right amount of heat and right and light to enter our atmosphere. During this plague, uh, God will either turn up the heat of the sun or allow more of the heat to enter the earth's atmosphere. I don't know which it'll be, but he's going to do it. And men will experience intense burns in their body. Now, most of you were just coming out of summer, so maybe you can remember the pain of your sunburn at the beginning of summer when you spend a little more too, too much time out in the sun. And it's an intense nagging pain, isn't it? But imagine having the pain intensified many times over. Imagine the agony that will result from this plague. But another one of man's, mankind's crutches has been kicked out from under him. Since the dawn of time, the sun has risen every morning and set every evening. And some of you really enjoy the morning sunsets, and the, or the morning sunrises and the evening sunsets. Think about that the next time you look at the sun. Or think about that. When we often say, sun is out, you know, when it's a cloudy day and all at once the clouds part and the sun comes out and it's beautiful. Well, this is going to be a plague in the tribulation. One day mankind will awaken to a sun that will blaze down with flaming heat. Scorch their bodies. Nothing compared to the pain that they'll feel, feel, though, when they're cast into hell's fire. This is just a taste of it, a warning. And the final uh, judgment will be even greater. Well, we read in the Bible, and we understand that these plagues are God's judgment on sinners who refuse to come to him for salvation. The plagues are designed to judge those who have defied a holy God at every turn. We read it. And we understand the source and the solution. I trust we do. And what strikes me so, uh, uh, that is so, so amazing is the fact that people understand what is happening. They understand that God is behind these plagues. Instead of repenting in the face of wrath, they stand in continued defiance of him and his will. Remember what it said there in verse 9. The Bible tells us in verse 9, they will blaspheme the name of God. The word means to revile, to speak evil of. They shake their puny fist toward God and revile his holy name. You think, well, they have the audacity to blame him for their troubles and their suffering. Well, that's been the way it has been ever since Adam and Eve, hasn't it? Even in Eden, Adam and Eve sought to blame their problems on others. The trend continues today. Republicans blame the Democrats, and the Democrats blame the Republicans. 
The coach blames the players, and the players blame the coach. The boss blames the employee, and vice versa. The employee blames, blames the boss. How about little brothers and sisters? They blame each other. He made me do it. It's not my fault. It's the fault of someone else. The devil made me do it, you know. Grown men and women are running around blaming their parents for the problems they have in life. And if they were angry, if they were substance abusers, if they had other problems in their adult lives, they blame it at their parents' feet. Even homosexuals blame God for their perversion. They blame God made them the way they are. Well, that's foolishness. Homosexuals are not born. That's a lifestyle which is a choice. Husbands blame wives, and wives blame husbands, and everybody blames everybody else for their problems. Even under the judgment of men during the tribulation, they're going to blame God. And the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. They refused to repent of their sins to the glory of God, and they were paying a heavy price for their choice. They have no one to blame but themselves. And if you fool around and die and go to hell, you have no one to blame but yourself. You could stop anywhere and call on the name of God and trust him for salvation if you would. If you do not, you have nothing but judgment to look forward to. The time for repentance is now. If you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus today. You need to be saved. If you carry a burden for those who are headed to this horrible time of tribulation, the time is now to pray for them and to uh, tell them about Jesus now. If you're saved and you want to praise him for delivering your soul from death and hell and judgment, today would be a good time to do just that. So listen to his voice. And I trust that we'll realize the importance of this, even though it's something hard to read, hard to understand, hard to, to hear. This is the truth of God's word. Let's pray.